Hello and welcome to a podcast to accompany the latest Lancet Non-Communicable Diseases series. I'm Richard Lane and it's Tuesday, February the 12th. This series, which will also appear in the next print issue of the Lancet, dated February the 16th, pulls together the latest evidence and thinking and, importantly, implementation plans to help the world reduce its burden of NCD, specifically with this target of 25 by 25, reducing NCD mortality by 25% by the year 2025. And there are many players involved in this movement, but none more important than two architects, really, of the NCD progress to date, who have been published many times in the Lancet and elsewhere. And they are the husband and wife team who are the subject of a profile to accompany the series. They are professors Robert Beaglehole and Ruth Benita. And recently I had the pleasure of speaking to them from their home in Auckland in New Zealand. Professor Robert Beaglehole and Professor Ruth Benita, it's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you. Thanks very much for talking to The Lancet. There's such a lot to talk about. This is to do with a profile that's going to be appearing in the February 16th issue of The Lancet. But very much pegged to this is the publication of the latest of The Lancet's Non-Communicable Diseases series, which you folks have spearheaded. Could we start off by talking about this latest Lancet Non-Communicable Diseases series? This comes at a very important time, particularly in light of the seminal United Nations meeting that happened relatively recently. What is the point or the main aim of this series at this point in time, February 2013? I think the main point is to capitalise on the UN high-level meeting of September 2011, which really was a high point in the uh, efforts to place NCDs, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer and chronic respiratory diseases on the global agenda. And that meeting did that. But the meeting in itself was only a staging point. And so this series is part of the effort to continue to keep attention on NCDs, their global importance, especially to low- and middle-income countries, and to help, on the one hand, countries guide their actions in the next steps, in realising the ambitions of the high-level meeting, and also, importantly, looking forward to the post-millennium development goal era, which is rapidly coming towards us post-2015, where, of course, we'd like to see NCDs as part of the health sustainable development goal, if that's what's going to work out. So a transitional series moving forward from the high-level meeting looking towards helping countries do various important uh, interventions to prevent and treat NCDs, and looking even more ambitiously to the post-2015 era. Paper one of the series actually is talking about just that. It's about embedding NCDs into a post-2015 strategy. Is it the case that at this point where we are today, whilst we, you want and we want NCDs to be part of that post-MDG strategy, is it currently there yet or are you still campaigning to get NCDs into the global health agenda post-2015? Well, I think the campaign is, is ongoing. There are two strands leading towards what we hope will be sustainable development goals. One is coming out of the, the Rio Plus 20 meeting led by the G77 countries and another process is coming from a high-level panel set up by the UN Secretary-General. And the trick is to get both of these uh, processes to recognise, firstly, the importance of health to development, which we, of course, accept that perhaps not everyone does. And then under the general goal, if there is a goal on health, one of the targets would be the 
agreed NCD mortality reduction goal, which has been agreed by member states as of May of last year. So the campaign is still uh, in force, and I guess this won't be realised until later this year, perhaps early 2014. And very much tied to that is this very catchy 25 by 25. Can you just uh, remind us what that is? 25 by 25 is a very, it is a catchy title and I think it is important to brand our ideas really along the lines of the 3 by 5 idea of 3 million um, people treated with, for HIV AIDS by 2005. So 25 by 25 could be a catch cry and it refers of course to the 25% reduction in premature mortality from NCDs by the year 2025, an eminently achievable goal. The key thing, and paper two in the series, is looking specifically at the countrywide approaches because it sounds great having a, a multinational UN meeting, but that's only of any relevance if action plans are executed at a country level. And we know how diverse the countries of our world are. And paper two looks specifically at planning implementation and accountability. Do you just want to comment on that briefly? Probably Paper 2 is really offering a sort of a stepwise approach, a blueprint for low and middle income countries to, to sort of get an idea of where to get started. Too often member states are caught up into many lists of activities and lists of targets and indicators that they're expected to meet. And I think what the, the country action to meet the commitments on NCDs is attempting to do is offering a starting place and better still offering really the best, the creme de la creme, the best of the best buys. Um, in other words, three simple, and relatively simple and cost-effective interventions that could achieve 25 by 25. And what are those simple interventions? Probably no surprise to anyone that tobacco uh, control has to be the first one. That's well and truly established. There's no question of doubt that this is the most important um, cause of premature mortality. So that remains number one. The second one, a bit like tobacco, is a population-based one, one that the whole population needs to make a slight shift, and that is salt reduction. And why salt reduction is important is its relationship to blood pressure. And blood pressure, in turn, uh, causes many strokes and heart attacks. And um, the relatively high levels of blood pressure in poor countries cannot be solved, cannot be reduced uh, across the population by anything other than a population approach. Drugs just won't do it, not for a third of the population. We have talked about two population approaches, but equally we need a clinical approaches for individuals who have already suffered a heart attack or stroke. And, and so we're advocating a high-risk approach to people who have um, high levels of the standard risk factors for cardiovascular disease or more importantly, who already have had a uh, clinical event, because we know that the vast majority of these people in many low- and middle-income countries don't get any treatment at all, yet even a, an aspirin for someone who's had a heart attack would be extremely beneficial and, of course, uh, quite uh, cost-effective, cost-saving. Although we advocate these uh, priority interventions, we recognise that there are other best buyers as well, 
and there are other uh, interventions which you can't even estimate their cost effectiveness, which need to be implemented when resources and uh, capacity becomes available. So we're not focusing just on the three, but we're saying, let's do these relatively simple, very cost-effective, often cost-saving interventions, do them well. When we have experience, build up, be more ambitious. That's the approach that the Lancet Group has always adopted. And of course, there are other people that say we should do everything all at once. And that's fine. If you can do it, do it. But make sure you do the essential things well. That's our position. So what we say, really, is that... Um if you do these three things well across the population and widely covering uh, all individuals who are at risk, rather than just treating people on the basis of a single risk factor alone, just imagine how much more could be achieved with the addition of other interventions, such as uh, reducing harm caused by alcohol or increasing physical activity or reducing trans fats and sugars. If you add to that additional interventions which Really, on some aspects, in terms of human rights, we should even be thinking as far as palliative care. That should be a right for all people at the end of life who are suffering. You can see that our, our range is very broad. The beauty of this is its simplicity. You've just outlined, as you say, simple, clear, concise interventions and a plan for improving population health. That's all very well, but it needs to happen, though, doesn't it? And one thing you do talk about in, um, in one of the papers in the series is this idea of uh, a commission, a non-communicable disease commission. Is this the point of having some independent authority that can monitor the performance at country level to make sure that the pledges that were made in the United Nations um, a year and a bit ago are actually implemented on the ground? Well, I think that's a key issue, and this uh, question of accountability is one that perhaps we haven't paid as much attention to in the NCD field as has been given, for example, in maternal and child health. And we are building on the experience that uh, Richard Horton has had with the Independent Expert Review Group for Maternal Women and Children's Health. And the idea is, yes, that at the national level, that some that the head of state uh, delegates authority to an independent commission to make sure that the promises are in, uh, in fact uh, kept. And particularly Not important promises, but commitments. And commitments. And particularly important is this question, which one of the, the papers addresses with Majid Zati as the lead author, uh, this issue of equality and. Uh, inequality uh, and we know that there are vast inequalities not only between countries and rates of NCDs but also within countries. So the Commission would need to make sure that the resources are available, the data are available, the programs are in place and the targets are being achieved and if not that remedial action is taken. And there are of course in many countries commissions on HIV AIDS and Perhaps there's lots of experience to be gained from those commissions that could assist the NCD uh, community realise the promise of the high-level meeting. Could you just very briefly touch on topics covered by Papers 4 and 5, one being Paper 4, Unhealthy Commodities, particularly the influence of, say, the soft drinks industry or tobacco industry, and also Paper 5, which is looking at the crucial issue, again, they're all crucial, these issues, access to medicines. The profit and pandemics paper is, I think is going to be challenging for the NCD community. There's no question that the private sector 
has a huge role to play in the uh, cause of these epidemics. And if we think about childhood obesity and sugary drinks and, and fast foods and so forth, there's no question these epidemics uh, have the private sector as an important vector. The question is what to do about it. And uh, this paper adopts a, a hard-line view saying that without um, doubt, there should be a very strong separation of the private sector from policy development, strategy development, and goes further and suggests that public health people should not be attempting to work with the private sector, but that should be the province, uh, uh, the, the task of governments. So it's a very interesting and challenging paper. Access to medicine is a critical issue, of course, for all medical conditions, huge experience from HIV AIDS where the uh, antiretroviral viral drugs were hugely expensive but came down eventually and are now increasingly available, perhaps 8 million of the 15 million people around the world roughly are getting them. But the situation with uh, non-communicable diseases, whether you take uh, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer or chronic respiratory diseases, is that there are decent generic drugs on the market which should be widely available in the public and the private sector at very low cost. Um, and we're not there yet. We're a long way to go. There are issues about uh, availability, the accessibility, affordability, there are issues around the quality and distribution of the drugs. And again, this is an issue I think we haven't yet paid much attention to. But if we are to achieve the 25 by 25 goal, much of the short-term gains are going to be coming from the treatment of people who are very high risk. So these are the people who need aspirins and beta blockers and combination pills or whatever. How much do you think we can learn from progress in the management of HIV? Because with HIV, obviously, generics have become available. Antiretrovirals have become affordable through, through the use of generics. And in terms of distribution, in terms of health system capacity, there has been progress made, hasn't there? Wonderful progress. And I think there are lots of models from the HIV AIDS uh, community, particularly the role of the civil society and patients' rights groups who had made all the difference in access to uh, affordable HIV uh, drugs. But I think we can do more than learn from the HIV experience. I think we can actually integrate with approaches and clinics that are developing drugs and healthcare facilities that are delivering drugs for HIV. These are the same people who are coming now with HIV who may well die not of their HIV but of a non-communicable disease. They may live long enough to get diabetes either for other reasons or because of the consequences of the treatment they're having for HIV. There's lots of synergies. There are lots of lessons, lots of opportunities for synergies and integration still to be realised. I wish it was a more formal movement than it is. And I think, I think we're evolving rapidly. So we've got the academics, we've got the science base, which WHO has also contributed to wonderfully with their best buys. We've got the GBD underpinning some of the evidence. And then we've got civil society and with NCD Alliance, which came together, as you know, from the World Heart Federation, the, the um, Cancer Society, uh, the Di International Diabetes Federation. So that's bringing together the, uh, the civil 
society, and there are other civil society groups too around tobacco, the Framework Convention Alliance, around salt, the, um, the uh, World, World Action on Salt and Health. So there are lots of things going on, but they, I don't think it's yet coalesced into a strong movement. I think one of the things... I wonder, I wonder that. It sounds like it might be a little bit disparate and it actually needs pulling together a bit. It does. I think there's quite a lot of work to be done. The NCD Alliance, I'm sure you know, is struggling a bit at the present time. Um, I, think it's still a, I think it's a nascent movement and it's desperately needed and we need to get involved with people who are, have experienced non-communicable diseases, patient groups, patients' rights groups. Which have been so effective in HIV/AIDS. Um, I think at the country level, in some countries, there's some very active uh, examples, particularly around tobacco control, of course. Um, but uh, civil society groups around NCDs are also building. But I think still nascent. I'd like to see a stronger movement. And then, with the evidence, with the burden, with the movement, it would be irresistible. Many thanks again to Robert Beaglehall and Ruth Benita. Thanks for listening.